and welcome to this information and trivia podcast. For the business. <laughs> the business? The business? I went too fast. I went out of my cadence. I forgot what I was doing. All right. Try this again. We're not a business. <laughs> No, go on. Keep it going. Keep Hello, it going. and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoy teams of pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. <laughs> and we're coming to you at Micro Machines Pace because here we are. We're recording a lot of episodes all at once because Lauren's going on vacation and she's not going to be in the country. <laughs> and now it's late. And now it's, and now it's late. So uh, don't worry, everyone. This will not be a long one. You know what's funny is like some people listen to podcasts like at a different speed. Oh, I, those people, and I'm sorry to people who listen to us at like two times or whatever. That's crazy. But it's insane. That's crazy. That's foolishness. It's crazy. You really need, do you really want to have people talk to you at like an incredible rate of speed? So, no. and so then if we're talking really fast and then they listen to us at two times speed, like what the heck does that sound like? Oh, I don't even want to know. You know what? I want to remain ignorant, ignorant of that fact. Anyway, so my topic tonight, today, whatever time you're listening to this, um, it's October, it's a long time coming. I'm actually surprised that. We haven't done it yet. So my topic today, say it with me, is tuberculosis. You know what? I'll keep, I'll take it. It's <laughs> tuberculosis. Um, so before I begin, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, the excellent podcast Sawbones. Uh, starring uh, Justin and Dr. Sidney McElroy, who um, talks about like the wild things about medical history and medicines and diseases great. and all sorts of things. It's great. It's so funny. Um, Sydney did an episode on tuberculosis in 2014. Mm-hmm. I listened to it. It's good. Uh, we have a little bit of the same information, like a little bit of overlapping because, hey, we're talking it about is, the same disease. Uh, it is a disease. <laughs> yes. Um, but, uh, I think, uh, yeah, if you want to know more about the stuff, please, I, I highly recommend going to listen to that Sawbones episode. It's very good. Um, it's also the one where she announces she's pregnant. That's very sweet. Um, so anyway, uh, my episode tuberculosis is as follows (laughs) in my essay. Um, so tuberculosis, as we know, it's an infectious disease. It's usually caused by mycobacterium tuberculosis, or MTB bacteria. Uh, Tuberculosis generally affects the lungs, but can also affect other parts of the body. It's called extrapulmonary, or outside the lungs, TB. It occurs when it develops outside the lungs, although extrapulmonary TB may coexist with pulmonary TB. So you can have it in the lungs and and other places as well. So the classic symptoms of an active TB are a chronic cough with blood-containing mucus or sputum, fever, night sweats, and weight loss. It was most often called consumption because of this, because you waste away. Um, also significant nail clubbing may also occur, which is not when your nails leave your hands and go out to treks. They actually nail clubbing is when your nails get like flat and wide. And I, you know how on Wikipedia now you can hover over like a link 
and it like brings up like the first paragraph. Well, when you hover over nail clubbing, it also includes a picture. And I almost screamed aloud. It's not disgusting. It's just kind of like really surprising because yeah. it's like nails that are like fingernails that are like eight times the size of a normal fingernail. It's out of control. Anyway. Oh, Met- yeah, it's bad. Many TB infections do not have symptoms, in which case it is known as latent tuberculosis. About 10% of latent infections progress to active disease, which, if left untreated, kills about half of those affected. If a tuberculosis infection does become active, it is most commonly involves the lungs in about 90% of cases. cases. Uh, symptoms may include chest pain and a prolonged cough, producing sputum. About 25% of people may not have any symptoms at all. And occasionally people may cough up blood in small amounts. And in very rare cases, the infection may erode into the pulmonary artery or a Rasmussen's aneurysm resulting in massive bleeding. So you have a, an aneurysm that develops in the, the blood vessels inside your lungs. Oh, dear. P.S. This episode may make you very aware of your lungs. Um, <laughs> tuberculosis may become a chronic illness and cause extensive scarring in the upper lobes of the lungs, and the upper lung lobes are most frequently affected by tuberculosis than the lower run- ones. And the reason being is because it's probably because it's just that's what gets the air more yeah. often mm-hmm. um, or poor lymph drainage within the upper lungs. So like your lymph doesn't drip, like drain away as quick. So in 15 to 20 percent of active cases, the infection spreads outside the lungs, causing other kinds of TB. They are collectively known as extrapulmonary tuberculosis. And this occurs more commonly in people with a weakened immune system and young children. So odds are... If you catch TB, you're just going to get it in the good old lungs and you're not going to get it elsewhere. Where does it go? So, okay. Uh, oh, also in those with HIV, this occurs in more than 50% of cases. Oh, jeez. Um, notable extrapulmonary infection sites include the pleura, which is the fluid-filled lining of the lungs, mm-hmm. uh, the central nervous system, which is called tuberculosis meningitis, Oof. the lymphatic system, which is called scrofula of the neck where you scrofula is tuberculosis scrofula is tuberculosis where it's like you get like open goiters goiters right all over your neck because your lymph system is like swollen and draining wasn't it like something that the kings had yes wasn't it like a royal it was like a royal illness or something it yeah it was a it was a it was like what like because tuberculosis was everywhere when you got it. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. It? So yeah. I mean, kings and queens died of scrofula. Sure. Um, also, you can get it in the uh, genitourinary system. How? It's called How? Uro- It's called urogenital tuberculosis. How common is that? Uh, not super common. I mean, it happens mostly in people with weakened immune systems. So take your vitamin C, everybody. Um, also, but you probably already have it in your lungs if you get it in those other places, right? Yeah. I mean, usually it's like a comorbidity. Yeah. It happens at the same time. Um, <laughs> Can you imagine thinking you have a UTI and just like going to the doctor and they're like, Ooh, actually, uh, it's, Ooh. We it's took, tuberculosis. Yeah. We took a culture. That's tuberculosis. You got to get into a sanatorium. Um, you can also get it, by the way, in your bones and joints. It's called pot disease. <sighs> You can, you can get it in like your spine. It's crazy. So a potentially more serious widespread form of TB is called disseminated tuberculosis, also known as miliary tuberculosis, which basically is like when a cancer metastasizes throughout the body. You get it everywhere. 
So miliary TB currently makes up about 10% of extrapulmonary cases. So if you get it outside the lungs and it's elsewhere, it there's a good chance it might spread all over your body. And then that kills you. So the main cause of TB is, as I mentioned before, the mycobacterium tuberculosis. It is a small, aerobic, non-motile bacillus. The high lipid content of this pathogen, it's very like fatty, accounts for many of its unique clinical characteristics. Um, it divides every 16 to 20 hours, which is an extremely slow rate compared to other bacteria, which usually divide in less than an hour. So this is notable because when you're trying to diagnose TB, which is already difficult to do because it tends to look like a lot of other diseases, especially if it's extra pulmonary, mm -hmm. right? It takes longer to grow the bacteria from a sample than you would from other bacterial infections. So the difficult culture process for the slow growing organism can take two to six weeks for blood or sputum cultures. So th for that reason, treatment is often begun before cultures are confirmed. Like you start getting medication for tuberculosis before it's even confirmed because okay. it takes so long to diagnose for sure. Um, so the M tuberculosis complex includes four other TB-causing microbacteria, okay? Okay. It is M. bovis, M. africanum, M. canetti, and M. microti. So M. africanum is not widespread, but it's significant cause of tuberculosis in parts of Africa, africanum. Okay. M. bovis was once a, once a common cause of tuberculosis, um, but the introduction of pasteurized milk has almost completely eliminated this as a public health problem in developed countries because it was yeah. found in milk of Bovis. cows. Bovis. Cows. Bovine. Yep. M. canetti is rare and seems to be limited to the Horn of Africa, although a few cases have been seen in African emigrants. How's that spelled? Canetti. C-A-N-E-T-T-I. Canetti. It's like an Italian. Italian to me. Yeah. Sounds like a delicious Italian dish. It is not. Can you bring me one of those, Canetti, when you come back from no, the kitchen? No, don't. It's bacteria. It's terrible. Um, and M. microti is also rare and is seen almost only in immunodeficient people, although its prevalence may be significantly underestimated. So it's they think it's rare, but it might not be. It's crazy. So a number of factors make people more susceptible to TB infections. The most important risk factor globally is HIV. 13% of all people with TB are infected by the HIV virus. Oh, wow. This is a particular problem in sub-Saharan Africa whose rates of HIV are high. And of people without HIV who are infected with tuberculosis, about 5 to 10% develop active disease during their lifetimes. In contrast, 30% of those co-infected with HIV develop the active disease. So if you all are already immunodeficient, yep, TB is a higher risk oh, factor wow. for you. Yep. Um, tuberculosis is closely linked to both overcrowding and malnutrition, making it one of the principal diseases of poverty. Those at high risk thus include people who inject illicit drugs, inhabitants and employees of locales where, where vulnerable people gather. So for example, prisons and homeless shelters, medically underprivileged and resource poor communities, high risk ethnic minorities, children in close contact with high risk category patients and healthcare providers serving all of these people. So another risk factor is chronic lung disease. Mm -hmm. So silicosis is a lung disease, which happens to your lungs when you inhale silica dust, and it's what's known as an occupational lung disease. Okay. Like mesothelioma. Like mesothelioma, exactly. Um, this increases the risk of acquiring TB about 30-fold. Um, those who smoke cigarettes have, have nearly twice the risk of TB compared to non-smokers. 
Other diseases include alcoholism and diabetes, which gives you a threefold increase. Um, certain medications are also risk factors in contracting TB, including some treatments for autoimmune disorders and some steroids. Also, apparently there's some evidence of genetic susceptibility, but there hasn't been any proven cause. Yeah. So a way to quickly screen people at high risk for TB is called the Mantau tuberculin skin test, where a medical professional will inject a small amount of tuberculin, which is like a the dead virus or dead bacteria, excuse me, intradermally, which means between the layers of your skin makes like a little bubble. And so the person who has been exposed to the bacteria is expected to mount an immune response in the skin containing the bacterial proteins. So you'll have like an allergic reaction at the site. And that's how they think they know like, well, you probably have TB. I remember like my mom has a thing on her arm and I'm sure people of other, of that generation do too. That's just like a, a round circle that's made of a bunch of like needle holes and that was like from her tb test or whatever yeah it was just like a boop like a bunch of them though yeah like like one of those one of those pens that has 20 different colors yeah only like worse yeah Yeah. only not as fun as those (laughs) um so the only available vaccine as of 2011 is called uh the bacillus calmet garin or the bcg vaccine in children it decreases the risk of getting the infection by 20 percent, and the risk of infection turning into active disease by nearly 60 percent. so it's the most effective vaccine we have so far um, it is also the w- most widely used vaccine worldwide with more than 90 percent of all children being vaccinated and the immunity it induces decreases after about 10 years so it does like wear off after a while you need to get a booster every 10 years if you're why are we not getting tuberculosis well you'll hear this <laughs> So as tuberculosis is uncommon in most of Canada, the United Kingdom, and the United States, BCG is administered to only those people at high risk. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Part of the reasoning against the use of the vaccine is that it makes the tuberculin skin test falsely positive, reducing the test's usefulness as a screening tool. Um, But there are also a number of vaccines in development right now Mm -hmm. since 2011. But so far, it's just been BCG. Uh, The World Health Organization declared TB as a global health emergency in 1993. And in 2006, the Stop TB Partnership developed a global plan to stop tuberculosis that aimed to save 14 million lives between its launch and 2015. A number of targets they set were not achieved by 2015, mostly due to the increase in HIV-associated tuberculosis and the emergence of multiple drug-resistant tuberculosis. More on that later. So... The World Health Organization, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and the U.S. government are subsidizing a fast-acting diagnostic tuberculosis test for use in low- and middle-income countries as of 2012. In addition to being fast-acting, the test can determine if there is resistance to the antibiotic rifampicin, which may indicate multidrug-resistant tuberculosis, and it's accurate in those who are also effective with HIV. Um, so many resource poor places as of 2011 have access to only sputum microsco- microscopy. Mm-hmm. Um, and India has the highest total number of TB cases worldwide in 2010, in part due to poor disease management within the private and public healthcare sector. Um, so the subspecies of microbacterium tuberculosis, thankfully, is rarely p- present in wild animals. An effort to eradicate bovine tuberculosis caused by Microbacterium bovis from the cattle and deer herds of New Zealand have been relatively successful. Efforts in Great Britain have been less successful. Mm. As of 2015, tuberculosis appears to be widespread among 
captive elephants in the U.S. It is believed that the animals originally acquired the disease from humans, which is a process called reverse zoonosis. Ooh. Yeah. So like some humans coughed near an elephant and the elephants were like, <clears throat> oh boy. yeah. So because the disease can spread through the air to infect both humans and other animals, it is a public health concern affecting circuses and zoos. Yeah. It's bad. Why do I think that we don't get tuberculosis anymore? Mm. Oh no, we totally do. Yeah. So history of tuberculosis. Let's just, just dive right in. Much more fun. Remember? History. It's not the future. <laughs> so tuberculosis has existed since antiquity. Uh, the oldest unambiguously detected M. tuberculosis gives evidence of the disease in the remains of bison in Wyoming dated to around 17,000 years ago. Okay. However, whether tuberculosis originated in bovines then transferred to humans or whether both bovine and human tuberculosis diverged from a common ancestor remains unclear. Um, some scholars think that tuberculosis was like the first disease that man has ever encountered. Whoa. Yeah. Which is not proven obviously, but it's a theory. Um, so comparison of the genes of M tuberculosis complex in humans to MTBC in animals suggest humans did not acquire it from animals during animal domestication. As researchers previously believed both strains of the tuberculosis bacteria share a common ancestor, which could have infected humans even before the Neolithic revolution. Skeletal remains show some prehistoric humans as far back as 4,000 BC had TB and researchers have found tubercular decay in the spines of Egyptian mummies dating from 3,000 to 2,400 BC. Genetic studies suggest the presence of TB in the Americas from about 100 AD. Um, so in 2014, results of a new DNA study of tuberculosis genome reconstructed from remains in southern Peru suggest that human tuberculosis is less than 6,000 years old. So they're like, hey. it's not that old. <laughs> Even if researchers theorize that humans first acquired it in Africa about 5,000 years ago, there is evidence that the first tuberculosis infection happened about 9,000 years ago. Um, it spread to other humans along trade routes, and it also spread to domesticated animals in Africa, such as goats and cows. Seals and sea lions that bred on African beaches are believed to have acquired the disease and carried it across the Atlantic to South America. Yeah. <gasps> Hunters would have been the first humans to contract the disease there because they would have eaten the flesh of the seals. So the first reference to tuberculosis in non-European civilization is found in the Vedas, which is the ancient religious texts of India. Mm -hmm. The oldest of them, um, the, what's known as the Rig Veda, which is about from about 1500 BC calls the disease Yaksma and the Atarva Veda calls it the Balasa It is in the Atarva Veda that the first description of scrofula is given. Um, the Huangdi Neijing classic Chinese medical text traditionally attributed to the mythical Yellow Empire describes a disease believed to be tuberculosis called Zulaobing, which is trans loosely translated as weak consumptive disease, characterized by persistent cough, abnormal appearance, fever, a weak and fast pulse, chest obstructions, and shortness of breath. Before the Industrial Revolution, folklore often associated tuberculosis with vampires. No way. Vampires. The reason why is because when one member of a family died from the disease, the other infected members would lose their health slowly. People believe that this was caused by the original person with TB draining the life from the other family members. Isn't that so spooky? <laughs> I mean, it's appropriate. Yeah, right? I it's guess. appropriate for this week. 
Happy Halloween, everybody. Hope you don't get TB. Um, so, how... That goes without saying. Yes. No, I... Misinformation. I'm going to say not this. Condone. Does not condone anyone contracting or dying from tuberculosis. As much as we joke about it, we would never want, wish that on any of our listeners or anyone else. Just saying. So, how do we discover tuberculosis as it's known today? Yeah. So, although English physician Richard Morton established the pulmonary form associated with tuberculosis as a pathology in 1689 due to the variety of its symptoms, TB was not identified as a single disease until the 1820s. J.L. Schoenlein coined the name tuberculosis in 1839, and between uh, 1838 and 1845, Dr. John Crowen, the owner of Mammoth Cave in Kentucky from 1839 onwards, brought a number of people with tuberculosis into the cave in the hopes of curing the disease with the constant temperature and purity of the cave air. Did it Did it work? Each one of them died within a year. So one, and now the cave is full and of now, bacteria. And now the cave is just full of TB. So one of the one of the the there were a lot of like really weird cures that people came oh, up with sure. over the years. But one of the main ones, especially in Europe and the Americas, was clean air, fresh you need clean air. air. You need to get out in the cold, or you need to stay indoors. To the you need to go to the country to breathe in that clean air. That was the idea. Um, John Evelyn, the early modern British writer and playwright, wrote a treatise called Fumifugium, Fumifugium. And it was about, um, it, it was like one of the first treatises on uh, air pollution in London. And he wanted to, it's like such a cool thing. I learned this in my early modern class. Hi, Dr. Walkling. And he proposed that there would be um, windmills that would like blow the the, the, the putrid air, air away, uh-huh. and he also um, advised planting huge swaths of of floral meadows around London oh, to like lovely. soak up all the bad air and spit out all the good air. And he sa- he thought that one of the side effects of this would be to cure tuberculosis. Isn't that amazing? Fumi fujium, everybody. So. Back to a guy who brought a bunch of people in a cave. Um, yeah, they all died. So Herman Bremer opened the first TB sanatorium in 1859 in Gorbisdorf, now Solokowsko, in uh, Silesia. Uh, Robert Koch identified and described the bacillus causing tuberculosis, M. tuberculosis, on March 24th, 1882. He received the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine in 1905 for this discovery. Um, Koch did not believe that cattle and human tuberculosis diseases were similar, which delayed the recognition of infected milk as a source of infection. So he did one thing in identifying, and on the other hand, he kind of delayed, like, discovery. Oh my God, infected milk. Infected milk. Ooh, Lord. So... Uh, During the first half of the 1900s, the risk of transmission from this source was dramatically reduced after the application of the pasteurization process, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Koch announced a glycerin extract of the tubercule bacilli as a remedy for tuberculosis in 1890, calling it tuberculin, as I mentioned before. Sound familiar? Uh, While it was not effective, it was later successfully adapted as the screening test that we know. Okay. Um, World Tuberculosis Day is marked on March 24th each year, the anniversary of Koch's original scientific announcement. And who hasn't had a wonderful World Tuberculosis Day celebration? We gotta have a party. We gotta have a party. Everyone dresses your favorite bacteria. We all 
cough up sputum. No, nope. we all wear masks. Oh, you're right. We all wear Nobody masks. Nobody breathes any air that the other people around them are breathing. You in. only breathe fresh air. We all go to different fresh parts air. of the town and we breathe in fresh air. I mean, who hasn't celebrated World Tuberculosis Day in that traditional way? Um, so it caused wide, widespread public concern in the 19th and early 20th centuries as the disease became common among the urban poor. Uh-huh. In 1815, one in four deaths in England was due to consumption. One in four. By 1918, TB still caused one in six deaths in France. After TB was determined to be contagious in the 1880s, it was put on a notifiable disease list in Britain. Campaigns started to stop people from spitting in public places. Uh, thanks. Thanks. And the infected poor were encouraged to enter sanatoria that resembled prisons. Um, Of course, the sanatoria for the middle and upper classes offered excellent care and constant medical attention. Mm -hmm. Whatever the benefits of the quote unquote fresh air and labor in the sanatoria, even under the best conditions, 50% of those who had entered died within five years. Um, When the Medical Research Council formed in Britain in 1913, it initially focused on tuberculosis research solely. Um, So in Europe, we're going to go back a little bit. Rates of tuberculosis began to rise in the early 1600s to a peak level in the 1800s when it caused nearly 25% of all deaths, as I mentioned before. By the 1950s, mortality in Europe had decreased about 90%. Okay. Improvements in sanitation, vaccinations, and other public health measures began significantly reducing rates of tuberculosis even before the arrival of streptomycin and other antibiotics, although the disease remained a significant threat. Uh, prior to the introduction of medication, the only treatment was surgical intervention, including the pneumothorax technique, uh-huh. which involved collapsing an infected lung to rest it and to allow tuberculosis lesions to heal. <laughs> so you would just like pop, pop, pop your lungs and just like wait for it to just chill out. <laughs> yeah. Just do that to your lungs. <clears throat> heal them up real nice. Yeah, that works out. Just killing it with the Foley these past couple of weeks. Honestly, so good. <laughs> so in 1944, Albert Schatz, Elizabeth Bougie, and Selman Waxman in isolated streptomycin produced by a bacterial strain, Streptomyces griseus. Mm-hmm. Streptomycin was the first effective antibiotic against tuberculosis. This discovery is generally considered to the beginning of modern era of tuberculosis, although the true revolution began some years later in 1952 with the development of isozanad, the first oral mycobactericidal drug. The advent of rifampin in the 1970s hastened recovery times and significantly reduced the number of tuberculosis cases until the 1980s. Uh, However, even today, treatment of TB requires a lot of antibiotics taken for a long time, and not everybody has access to that. So um, we now treat tuberculosis with antibiotics, but drug-resistant strains have definitely cropped up since the 1980s. That's one reason why we haven't completely eradicated it. Um, Because of the emergence of this, surgery has been reintroduced for certain cases of TB infections. It involves the removal of infected chest cavities in the lungs to reduce the number of bacteria and to increase exposure of the remaining bacteria to antibiotics in the bloodstream. So, tuberculosis has been known by many names from the technical to the familiar. Thesis, and I pronounced it, or no, it's thesis. Does it start with a P? Yeah. P-T-H. Oh, it's thysis. That's it. Hold on. Thysis, which... Dr. McElroy 
taught me is pronounced thysis and not thesis, uh, is a Greek word for consumption. And around uh, 460 BCE, uh, Hippocrates described thysis as a disease of dry seasons. The abbreviation TB is short for tubercule bacillus, not tuberculosis. You know what I mean? Ah, okay. Uh, Consumption was the most common 19th century English word for the disease, as we know. In The Life and Death of Mr. Badman by John Bunyan, which was the companion book to The Pilgrim's Progress. Uh Yep. Um, the author calls consumption, quote, the captain of all these men of death. Uh, it was also known as the Great White Plague. I was going to say they made it out of the plague. Yeah, yeah. And then they were like, oh, here's the White Plague instead of the Black Plague. <gasps> Gross. However, there's a good side to tuberculosis. Okay. Ready for this? Tuberculosis was for centuries associated with poetic and artistic qualities among those infected and was also known as the romantic disease. I was going to say. Yeah, hell yeah. romantic? It's so romantic. Major artistic figures such as the poets John Keats, Percy by Shelley, and Edgar Allan Poe, the composer Frederick Chopin, the playwright Anton Chekhov, the novelists Franz Kafka, Catherine Mansfield, Charlotte Bronte, Dostoevsky, Thomas Mann, <laughs> W. Somerset Maugham, George Orwell, and Robert Louis Stevenson, and the artists Alice Neal, Jean-Antoine Watteau, Edvard Munch, Aubrey Beardsley and Amadeo Modigliani either had the disease or are surrounded by people who did. A widespread belief was that tuberculosis assisted artistic talent. So, because because you are bedridden? Yeah. So, apparently, (laughs) physical mechanisms proposed for this effect, including the slight fever and toxemia that it caused, allegedly helping them to see life more clearly and to act decisively. Or does it give you, like, delusions? I mean, I imagine you're like, like it goes to your brain and yeah. you're just like, mm. well, also it made you so beautiful and sympathetic. Like ah. you were pale, you were thin, you were indoors all the time. You were so weak. You were coughing gently into your embroidered handkerchief. You know, it was like this idea of melancholy was really big during this time. Mm-hmm. The The pale drawn man who just like writes in his, in his journal about how much he loves this woman and how weak he is and how his weak eyes can barely read all of the books that he reads that he makes his brain strong, but his body's so weak and he's so sad about it. So that was like, Oh man, people just loved it. They were like, Oh, I can't wait to bag me a tuberculosis hottie. It's crazy. <laughs> Get me a TB hottie. <laughs> oh man. That's a, oh, yeah. Um, tuberculosis formed an often reused theme in literature, such as in Thomas Mann's The Magic Mountain, set in a sanatorium, of course, uh, in music, as in Van Morrison's, Van Morrison's song, TB Sheets, which is about his first wife died of tuberculosis and he wrote a song about what? it. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, in opera, as in Puccini's La Boheme and Verdi's La Triviata. Uh, in art, as in Monet's painting of his first wife, Camille, on her deathbed. And I mentioned this in my Monet episode or in my art episode, is that even at her deathbed, as he's grieving, he felt the need to paint her. He was like, I must, I must paint her. She looks so beautiful. Um, and also in films, such as the 1945 film, The Bells of St. Mary, starring Ingrid Bergman as a nun with tuberculosis, which is one of my dad's favorite Christmas movies, I think. Oh, The Bells of St. Mary. It stars uh, Bing Crosby as well. So. so that is my very quick and dirty about our favorite 
lung disease. lung disease. Tuberculosis. Oh boy! So it's not gone. No, it's it's uh, rampant it, in a lot of it countries. It should be able to be treated should you get it, mm-hmm. but you might not know right away if yeah. you have it exactly. unless you're around other people who exactly. you know have it. And because drug resistant and a, a drug resistant strains have cropped up, we got to start fighting it in a different way. So, but odds are, odds are you're not going to get it. Probably. Anyway. We're not doctors. We're not doctors. Please see your doctor if you feel that you have TB. Um, so my quiz, on that note. On that note. So my quiz today is much lighter. Yeah. Uh, my quiz today is entitled Sick with Romance, a quiz on poets and poetry. Question number one. The 17th century poet Basho was the most famous poet of the Edo period in Japan and made famous a simple style of verse that many elementary school students know of today. What is that form of poetry called? Question number two. This 1920s poet, a leader of the Harlem Renaissance and purveyor of the then-new literary art form known as jazz poetry, was influential in the realms of literature, theater, and civil rights, and even had a popular play named after one of his verses. Who is this poet? Question number three. The poet, musician, and artist Rabindranath Tagore reshaped the literature and music of this Southeast Asian region that spans Bangladesh and India, located at the top of a feline bay that shares its name. What region am I talking about? Question number four. Sylvia Plath is best known to college girls around the world as the depressed author of The Bell Jar, but her second book, one of poetry, brought on her rise to fame in 1965. What is the title of this book, in which contained poems entitled Daddy, Tulips, and Lady Lazarus, but none about a mermaid? Question number five. William Blake was a little-known English poet, painter, and printmaker during his lifetime, but is now considered a seminal figure of the Romantic era. Still, he was commissioned in 1826 to engrave images from this epic poem, which listeners might remember well from episode 47. Question number six. Name the single word that fills in the blank of the following excerpt from T.S. Eliot's The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufock. Shall I part my hair behind? Do I dare to eat a peach? I shall wear white flannel trousers and walk upon the beach. I have heard the mermaid singing blank to blank. Question number seven. This richly voiced poet died in 2014 after a five plus decade career, which includes eight autobiographies, seven plays, two cookbooks, and of course, numerous books of poetry. She also won the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2011 and won three Grammys for her spoken word albums. She has been called the Black Woman's Poet Laureate. Who am I talking about? Question number eight. The 13th century poet Rumi lived and worked in the ancient country of Persia, of which it's better known now as what? Question number nine. This poet is often considered the national poet of Chile, and Colombian novelist Gabriel Garcia Marquez once called him the greatest poet of the 20th century in any language. He is best known for his 100 love sonnets and is referenced frequently in TV and film. Who is this poet? And finally, question number 10. My favorite Twitter meme is when people rework the following William Carlos Williams poem. 
I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me. They were delicious. So sweet and so cold. What is the name of this poem? I'll give you a minute to think about it and we'll be right back with answers. Now listen, Julie, baby, it ain't natural for you to cry in the midnight. It ain't natural for you to cry when the midnight into the wee small hours long for the break of dawn. Oh, Lord. How you doing? Great. Great? Okay, good. All right, here we go. Question number one. The 17th century poet Basho was the most famous poet of the Edo period in Japan and made famous a simple style of verse that many elementary school students know of today. What is that form of poetry called? It's a haiku. It is a haiku. As a refresher, haikus are 575 formats, while renku, another format he was famous for, was a kind of collaborative poetry style where participating poets take turns providing alternating verses of 17 and 14 syllables. That's so many. Yeah. Um, The syllables were also known as more. Yeah. That's amore. That's amore. When that moon hits your eye, like a big pizza pie. Boom counting with syllables oh yeah it's a lot wouldn't that be funny if that was a a renku that would be like such a mind freak when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie that's a more (laughs) 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 all right well i i never said i was a poet okay question number two This 1920s poet, a leader of the Harlem Renaissance and purveyor of the then new literary art form known as jazz poetry, was influential in the realms of literature, theater, and civil rights, and even had a popular play named after one of his verses. Who is this poet? Langston Hughes. That is Langston Hughes. Um, A Raisin in the Sun, the play by Lorraine Hansberry. Its title is taken from his 1951 poem called Harlem. It's also known as A Dream Deferred. And the line is, what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Uh, Question number three. The poet, musician, and artist Rabindranath Tagore reshaped the literature and music of this Southeast Asian region that spans Bangladesh and India, located at the top of a feline bay that shares its name. What region am I talking about? Hmm. I think I'm not totally. I'm not totally sure what's a region over there. Okay. Um. Let's let's think about bays. The Bay of Bengal. Okay. Is Bengal a region? It is a region. It's Great. called Bengal. Hooray! Um, Rabindranath Tagore was such a huge deal, and it still is in this area of the world. He was the first non-European to win the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1913. 
And when he died in 1941, he left paintings, sketches, hundreds of texts with some 2,000 songs. His legacy also endures in the institution he founded, which was called the Visva Bharati University, which is in West Bengal of India. Um, the Sri Lankan National Anthem was inspired by his work as well. Oh, hey. So Bengal is like a cultural uh, and political region within India, the country. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, great. Uh, question number four. Sylvia Plath is best known to college girls around the world as the depressed author of The Bell Jar. But her second book, one of poetry, brought on her rise to fame in 1965. What is the title of this book, in which contain poems entitled Daddy, Tulips, and Lady Lazarus, but none about a mermaid? Is it called Sirens? No, it's called Ariel. Oh, okay. Uh, Plath was known as a confessional poet. That's the, the... term Mm -hmm. of her style and that she directly utilized her pain and struggles with mental illness in her work um she committed suicide in 1963 she was only 30 which i did not realize um a fellow confessional poet not as well known uh her name is ann sexton Mm -hmm. she was a close friend of sylvia plath's and she also committed suicide in a similar way as plath's with carbon monoxide inhalation which is terrible everybody yeah it's terrible um Anne Sexton is mentioned in the Peter Gabriel song Mercy Street, which is also dedicated to her. The last line of the song is Anne with her father is out in the boat, riding the water, riding the waves to the sea. It's a great song. It's off the So album from 1985. It is so good. Can I tell you guys? I love Peter Gabriel. Anyway, question number five. William Blake was a little-known English poet, painter, and printmaker during his lifetime, but is now considered a seminal figure of the Romantic era. Still, he was commissioned in 1826 to engrave images from this epic poem, which listeners might remember well from episode 47. Listeners might also remember that I referenced it in the previous episode. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Whoops. Uh, Dante's Inferno. Yes, it's Dante's Divine Comedy, but I'll take it. Um, so Blake was a total freak leak who was into free love and got most of inspiration through visions of ghosts and angels. And one time saw the ghost of a flea with a friend and drew it. And then he made a mini painting of it in gold leaf around 1820. A ghost of a flea. Yeah. And it's like a vampiric human figure. It's terrifying. Um, however, he was a staunch abolitionist and made a point to depict non-white bodies as virtuous rather than savage. So. Um, he was commissioned to do the, uh, divine comedy pieces. Yeah. And he only managed to make some watercolor sketches cause he was known for his engravings. That was uh. like his main, like artistic medium. Um, uh, but he died in 1827 before he could even start them. So, and his poem that will always be referenced on Jeopardy is tiger, tiger burning bright. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Okay. Question number six. Name the single word that fills in the blank of the following excerpt from T.S. Eliot's The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Shall I part my hair behind? Do I dare to eat a peach? I shall wear white flannel trousers and walk upon the beach. I have heard the mermaid singing blank to blank. From. So it's the same word. It's one word blank to blank. Sure. It's each. So, Ah. shall I part my hair behind? Do I dare to eat a peach? I shall wear white flannel trousers and walk upon the beach. I have heard the mermaid singing each to each. Yeah. So, the poem structure was heavily heavily influenced by Eliot's extensive readings of Dante Alighieri, 
mention it again uh, and make several references to the Bible and other literary works, including William Shakespeare, Twelfth Night, Hamlet, the poetry of 17th century metaphysical poet Andrew Marvel, and the 19th century French symbolists. Uh, in the poem, Eliot narrates the experience of Prufrock using the stream of consciousness technique developed by his fellow modernist writers. The poem, described as a drama of literary anguish, is a dramatic interior monologue of an urban man stricken with feelings of isolation and an incapability for de- decisive action that is said to epitomize frustration and impotence of the modern individual and represent thwarted desires and modern disillusionment. What if he didn't really mean to do all that no i mean that's that's putting a lot on t.s Eliot here um but i will say little personal note um whenever steve is drunk he quotes liberally from the love song of j alfred prufrock and sings sia songs yes and sings sia songs and dances to sia songs so and if you get Steve and Julia in the same room and they're both drinking oh somebody's gonna sing the general by dispatch <laughs> So, so what we have here is, is a very rich wellspring from which the two of you pull from in very weird ways when you have been drinking. So come by guys. It's a, it's a fun time. (laughs) Question number seven, this richly voiced poet died in 2014 after a five plus decade career, which includes eight autobiographies seven plays, two cookbooks, and of course, numerous books of poetry. She also won the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2011 and won three Grammys for her spoken word albums. She has been called the Black Woman's Poet Laureate. Who am I talking about? Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou. Um, Apparently, she also had a successful acting career. I had no idea. It included roles in numerous plays, films, and television programs, including her appearance in the television miniseries, Roots in 1977. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Right? Her screenplay, Georgia, Georgia, from 1972, was the first original script by a black woman to be produced. And she was the first African-American woman to direct a major motion picture, which was called Down in the Delta in 1998. Wow. Yeah. So she did a lot of I can't believe first. it was that long ago. I know. It's crazy. So question number eight. The 13th century poet Rumi lived and worked in the ancient country of Persia, of which it's better known now as what? Iran. It is Iran. Um, So Rumi's works are written mostly in Persian, but occasionally he also used Turkish, Arabic, and Greek. Uh, His works are widely read today in their original language across greater Iran and the Persian-speaking world. But translations of his works are also very popular, most notably in Turkey, Azerbaijan, the United States, and South Asia. Ah, yes. Yes. My favorite poems in Azerbaijani. (laughs) Well, uh, Rumi has been described as the most popular poet and the best-selling poet in the United States. We had a lot of poetry books by Rumi in Barnes and, uh, sorry, Schmarns and Blobley. People like to sh- like to put those on like inspirational backgrounds oh, and share them on they Pinterest and Facebook. Yeah, all the time. Uh, question number nine. This poet is often considered the national poet of Chile, and Colombian novelist Gabriel Garcia Marquez once called him the greatest poet of the 20th century in any language. He is best known for his 100 love sonnets and is referenced frequently in TV and film. Who is this poet? Is 
it Neruda? It is Neruda. Good job. Pablo Neruda. He won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1971, and his most famous collection is probably 20 love poems and a song of despair in Spanish, Viente Poemas de Amor y Una Canción Desesperada. You're welcome. Wow. Yes. Con gusta de nada. All right. Question number 10. My favorite Twitter meme is when people rework the following William Carlos Williams poem. I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me. They were so delicious, so sweet, and so cold. What is the name of this poem? Is it the Red Wagon? No. It's from the Red Wagon. No. It's called This Is Just to Say. So it's like the first line of the poem. This is just to say I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox. Um, One of my favorite Twitter like reworks of it is from this guy at Adam O'Price. This is just to say I have eaten the baby shoes that were for sale. Forgive me. They were delicious. So small and never worn. (laughs) I just love it. I love it. It's so good. It's like high and low culture at the same time. It's one of my favorite combos. Just like, you know, crunchy and creamy. It's just great. I love I, I love two opposing forces that come together in a delicious combo. Um, so that was... <laughs> just like the two lungs that most of us have. Yes. Which we should keep firmly in our body, uninfected with tuberculosis. And any, honestly, any other lung disease, if you can. Don't smoke, guys. Here's the thing. Misinformation takes a staunch and firm stance on anti-smoking. And if that loses us listeners, I don't care. It causes lung cancer, everybody. Quit. (laughs) I like that now we're like the Surgeon General. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Vaccinate your kids and stop smoking. Stop it. Anyway. That's a cosine. Yeah, cosine from Julia. Um, if you want to talk to us. Wow, you're really knocking out of the park. I'm tired. We say- <laughs> you want me to do it? If you want to email us, if you want to get in contact us, you can email us at misinformation, misinfopod at gmail.com. It's late. I'm sorry, everyone. You can tweet at us at misinfopod on Twitter. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page, misinformation, call in a trivia podcast, um, or you can hang out on our website. You can't talk to us hang on the out. website. Just like sit just leave on it. it leave it open like- on a tab. <laughs> it doesn't do anything for us, but you know, just, it just as a nice reminder. We are at triple dub dot misinfopod.com. Uh, you can listen to us on our website and you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate, review and subscribe. Tell a friend. And you know what, guys? We're going to go to bed because it's, it's late. And we hope that you enjoyed today's episode, even though it was, I would say, at maybe 70% of our normal energy. Oh, <laughs> plenty of information. Plus, still lots we of information. We probably have to retire our bit now, though, I think. Of tuberculosis? Yeah. Never. I don't think our, our numerous, our scores of fans would let us. Our, our tens of fans. Our tens of fans would be like, no, keep it. Anyway, um, thanks for listening, guys. Catch you next time. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>